This podcast is produced and managed by Kangaroo Fern Media Lab, Australia's independent video and podcast company. We do the podcasting hard bits so you don't have to. We make podcasts easy. Book a call at www.kangaroofern.com. www.kangaroofern.com. This podcast is produced and managed by Kangaroo Fern Media Lab, Australia's independent video and podcast company. We do the podcasting hard bits so you don't have to. We make podcasts easy. Book a call at www.kangaroofern.com. www.kangaroofern.com. Welcome to Samutsari, Conversations with Mimi, a weekly podcast by Dinosocial, also a member of the Guerrilla Podcast Syndicate. Samutsari is where we can show that ordinary people do extraordinary things. Tune in to be entertained and to learn something new with your host, Mimi Lorilla. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Samutsari Conversations with Mimi. It's a podcast featuring hot topics and other topics of interest for both women and men alike. I am your host, Mimi Laurelia, who is with you today as we feature guests who share their passion, commitment to their profession or talents. And here at Samutsari, we share stories to inspire you, stories from ordinary people who make extraordinary things. And um, as you know, Samutsari, um, you know, uh, invites people from all walks of life. And today we have another expert uh, with us. And I'm very partial to people from the education sector because I've been a part of the education, um, the academia, the academe before my 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 life now in my previous role. And I'm lucky to have uh, an opportunity to, um, you know, chance upon this individual because he's very very busy. Um, and those who have been following Samutsari, you know guys that our focus for season 2, which is this year's um, season, is to focus on individuals who do uh, work within an online space. Now, I'm not sure whether our guest also does that, so I'm going to ask him a question about that. But he will be talking more around education, pedagogy, um, early childhood uh, space because a lot of our listeners are also parents who are interested to know more about that. So before I ask the questions and introduce him more formally, I'd like to give an opportunity for Lem, Dr. Lemuel Toledano, to say hi to our viewers and our listeners from Samutsari. Hi, Lem. Hello. Hello, everyone. Nice to be here. Yes. Thank you, Lem, for agreeing um, to be a part of the show. So just to uh, get everybody to um, have a little bit of a context in terms of your expertise. So um, Dr. Toledano is a PhD a management major in organizational behavior. I'm going to ask you what organizational behavior is. From the Australian sure. National University or ANU in Canberra. So he's in a, a nearby Kapitbahai state <laughs> from Victoria. Uh-huh. He finished his Master of Arts in Education, major in Educational Leadership and Management. Again, that's an area that I'm not very familiar with. 
Bachelor of Education and Bachelor of Arts in Behavioral Science at De La Salle University of Manila. So, Lem, you're like, um, what do you call that? Loyalty awardee for your um, undergrad and your um, graduate course, uh, Master yes, Lem. Yes. So, Lem's interest and profound passion for children and learners, pedagogy, educational leadership, started in the Philippines when he previously worked as a lecturer, early childhood and secondary education practicum supervisor in the teachers or a part of the teacher certificate program coordinator and preschool coordinator also of St. Lasalle Preschool in the Educational Leadership and Management Department or ELMD of the College of Education of De La Salle. So that's your life in the Philippines. Currently, Lemuel is the Chief Operations Officer or the COO and Educational Leader of CanPlay PTYLTD, a privately owned company based in Canberra. He oversees the educational program, including implementation of Australia's Early Years Learning Framework. Yan, may konting alam ako dyan. So, Early Years Learning Framework, Curriculum Planning and Assessment, Pedagogical Practices. And he is also an educator um, being involved in staff trainings of the company's three centers, the Majura Park Child Care Center, Urambi Early Learning Center, and Torrance Early Learning Center. And he also served as center director and nominated supervisor for Majura Park Child Care and Torrance Early Learn- Learning Center. But apart from that, you also had training on Regio Emilia approach in Italy, United States, and Australia. I'm very curious what this is. So I'm going to ask you a question about that as well. Yeah. And the Loris Malaguchi's teachings that have greatly influenced your personal educational philosophy and approach in educational leadership and management. On the side, Obviously, because you are in your position of an expert in, in this field, you also serve as speaker in trainings and you also do research in both the fields of education and general management. So I guess, Lam, from what I've just read, you are always and had been in the educational leadership management space. So yes. because of that, what made you decide that this is an area of expertise that gusto mong um specialize why what what was the um precursor to this what was your childhood like are you from a family of teachers bigyan mo naman kami ng background yes, uh, paano ka napadpad sa field ng educational leadership and management yeah actually education was really my first choice no when i was applying for university studies back in the philippines all the university that i've applied for including dalasal university it's always like you need to take your preferred courses like normally one two three so my That's first right. choice across the three or four universities that i've tried was actually really in education probably on the onset why did i uh what inspired me to become a teacher i'll be very honest with this now i only have one or two uh Uh, aunts who are teachers but more than that it was really my good experience when i was in high school i'm very close with my uh, teachers back in high school i've seen their hard work their passion you know the energy in teaching young minds and trying to inspire people and that led me to uh, decide that i think this is uh, an industry that i would like to pursue and then probably Uh, since childhood, I'm very talkative as well. And you know, if you're a teacher, if you are so verbal and you have like good interpersonal relationship with other people, you feel that you can contribute and uh, 
help for other people to learn. So I always uh, give thanks to probably my former teachers, especially back in high school, that I felt they were doing a great job and that inspired me to become a teacher. Mm-hmm. So Ibis and Lem, when you were younger, you had a lot of role models. That you yes, that is correct. Yeah, because of yeah. those role models, you think, oh, I can be like them someday. Yes. Um, and I could. So, what do you think is the the um, the field all about? This educational leadership and management. What is what's what is yes. this um, area about? Is this something like uh, just based on my context clues? Does mm-hmm. this mean you will be uh, going towards a principal track or or uh, yes. at least a supervisory? Um, Root, or is it just about learning how to control the classroom? Something like a classroom management philosophy. Um, tell us yeah. more about that. I think it's more about, aside from teaching your students, I felt like uh, I needed to have a progression in my career that I feel like I love mentoring other people. Even at a young age, I felt like I can contribute in terms of uh, guiding other teachers, no, probably leading teams. Uh, not necessarily in the education uh, industry in the beginning, but even back at uni, sometimes when you have like collaborative activities or group work, I felt like I'm given the responsibility to lead the team. And I enjoy that. It's not necessarily being in power, but the ability to actually inspire and achieve mm-hmm. certain outcomes and goals for the group with your leadership I think made me realize, oh, I think I can uh, also pursue this uh, area. Having uh, said that, because uh, I started uh, very young as an academic back at De La Salle University. And of course, Dr. Mami, I, I remember you were probably the chair of a deal during yeah. that time. And one of those like senior colleagues that I look up to together with a lot of previous mentors that I had, I started, if I'm not mistaken, I was either 19 or 20 teaching uh, in the College of Education. So I started uh, teaching general uh, subjects like, you know, th- that time the names were even different. Foundations of Education, That's right. you know, <laughs> yes, yeah. curriculum engineering. And then uh, I was given the opportunity to actually handle St. Lasalle Preschool, which was act- the act- outreach program of our college. And this preschool caters uh, underprivileged no, communities around the university. Mm. And I thought, how would I handle this uh, school? I'm a very young academic. My experience in uh, teaching to begin with is still not that uh, extensive. And yeah. here I am. Uh, given that responsibility by our former dean, I remember uh, Dr. Barbara Wong Fernandez. I think exactly. I would like to thank her as well because that opportunity led me to where I am right now. That's the first managerial or leadership role that uh, was given to me. And I said that uh, I think I need to be serious with educational management. How can I make this preschool uh, quality, no, of mm-hmm. quality? Even though we are serving the underprivileged community, it doesn't mean that oh you can just do whatever program you want. You can just have whatever curriculum that you feel. But how can we really truly serve the community? It entails good leadership because it was an outreach uh, 
program, the budget was limited as well. So I need to learn those things like how to control the budget. I had few teachers under uh, my wing as well working with me in the preschool. How can I even train them no? in order to ensure that we are implementing progressive early childhood education. So I felt like uh, while I was taking my master's in educational management, there was a hands-on learning. You know, it's more of experiential learning. It's more like practicum very... along the side already. That is correct, <laughs> yeah. Which, uh, to be honest, Dr. Mimi, fits in or falls in with one of the educational philosophers that I look up to. I am, uh, you know, when I was... Uh, uh, a young academic, I really look up to John Dewey, you know, mm-hmm. so like social constructivism on how education would actually uh, uh, help in addressing societal issues. That, you know, learning should go be- uh, beyond the confines of the classroom. classroom so it was really good that while I was taking my master's learning how to, you know, handle teachers, professional de- staff development, even a bit of HR, financial management, human resource. I was handling a small school, which was St. LaSalle Peaceful. So that was, I think, a divine intervention that, uh, okay, you are taking this career. It's good for you to really practice it rather than just you know, learning theories. Mm. And uh, I was, I'm also lucky. I'll, I want to use this opportunity to also say my gratitude to my senior colleagues and uh, mentors uh, in the ELMD, Educational Leadership and Management Department, uh, back at De La Salle University. Because even as a young academic, they really tried you know, to train me, mentor me in such a way that, you know, Lem, this is the field of education. Slowly, gradually, we have to give you responsibility that you are not just a teacher in the classroom. Uh-huh. Later on in your life, you will be teachers of teachers, right? So, uh, I think under their wing, when they started uh, inviting me to join their seminars, you know, I started with those uh, really uh, trivial roles, like being the MC of the conference, handling uh, breakout sessions, no? And then later on, being one of the speakers, and then involving me in their uh, research projects, I think all those experiences, again, helped me to become a good educational leader. So I guess I'm very lucky that from high school and then uni and now working at De La Salle University, I've been exposed to a positive culture mm. in education, which made me uh, pursue this career further and saying that, okay, this is for me because mm-hmm. I am enjoying it. Yeah, it is that the reason, Lem, why you decided to uh, study here in Australia for your PhD. Yes, and, you know, I, I feel that you are already being groomed in the Philippines, and then you have a very nice and stable sort of career there in the academic, um, in the, in the educational space. Yes. So, what made you decide to study overseas? And obviously, you've stayed here now, and you have a be- better, bigger role here. Paano nangyari yung shift na yun? Hindi ba mahirap yes. yun? <laughs> yes. You know, Dr. Mimi, uh, so I guess some people don't even uh, know this. I was already taking my PhD back at Dalasal. Uh-huh. I was taking my doctorate in education. But my senior uh, colleagues in the LMD, you know, were, were very close. Until now, we always you know, talk to each other. We always 
catch up during the time they were asking me uh, what are your plans like you had your undergrad here at De La Salle you took your masters and now you're taking your PhD yes. it is in a sense if I will use their words it seems inbreeding no that are you still learning things that you know your teachers in masters will be your professors again in PhD the learning is just confined in our mm. department so what they wanted was like why don't you go out try what you see uh, outside the country other uh, educational framework you know pedagogies that probably are already there but it's not yet uh, uh, too how they call this uh, popular in the Philippines so it was more of a challenge why yeah. not go and then I thought okay fine probably I will I will try But uh, as you uh, you were asking, why is my PhD different? My PhD is in OB. No, it's not necessarily education. I think that's a bit of a shift. I was thinking uh, probably because I had my undergraduate education, uh, masters in educational management. It's about time to learn another discipline that I can use to strengthen mm. my overall leadership ability. So I felt like instead of just focusing on education, I might be able to handle, you know, companies as well, other organizations not necessarily related to the education industry. That's why I took my PhD in management, major in organizational behavior. And this PhD, Dr. Mini, focused uh, more on like employer-employee relationship, okay. you know, attitudes and behaviors in the organization. It's like a... Um, It's so like level up of HR. <laughs> industrial yeah, relations. That is correct, Dr. Mimi. It's more of like, like, these are like sisters of organizational psychology, industrial relations, you're correct. So, uh, I guess that would further and strengthen my educational and pedagogical side because my undergrad and master's were really focused on pedagogy, you know, the art and science of teaching, how you handle teachers. But teachers are also human beings, right? So, There are other things that might influence their performance, might influence the way you handle a school or you run a company, which I've learned in my PhD. Plus, of course, I think the PhD strengthened my skills in research as well. Yeah. So I think, Lem, it's like a divine intervention where everything kind of falls into place. And now yeah. you're the chief operations officer of this company. We have three early learning centers. Um, and then, obviously, lahat na yan. Your 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 skills in educational leadership and management, your your PhD in organizational behavior. How is this different from running an educational setup in the Philippines? Meron bang stark differences ang Australian um, yeah. uh, educational learning centers from the Philippines? Just for those who who have no idea whatsoever what it's like here in Australia. That's a good question, Dr. Winnie. You know, I did not plan to actually be a practitioner. Now, after the PhD, I had some options whether I tried to apply for an academic position in the College of Business because the PhD management OB is not under the College of Education. It's under the College of Business and Economics. So that was one of the possible career paths. I try to apply for OB, yeah. no, as an OB uh, lecturer. Another option was like after finishing, probably I'll come back. I'll 
uh, return to the Philippines. And then, you know, go back to ELMD and then teach again. So those are the two things that I was uh, considering. I was very open to those options. But as they say, you always go back to your first love. So when I was trying to look for like just searching, I was not even seriously considering, will Ubi work for me? Would I teach? Would, would I be happy teaching in the business school? Mm-hmm. It's really a different sphere mm-hmm. compared to education. So I felt like uh, I wasn't really into it. So I had to accept that, uh, Dr. Mimi, that oh, I finished a PhD in OB, but I think I don't want to really be focused in OB or mm-hmm. uh, business and economics in itself. I still uh, yearning for, longing for education. But if I go back to the Lasalle University, uh, I'm not sure at this stage, but I think that time, uh, They are really how they call, how how will I say this? Uh, I think they prioritize more on the specialization and degree. If I go back to ELMD, my PhD was not in education, so I wasn't mm-hmm. sure as well if I will be. Accepted. It would be relevant in that space. That is correct. Although I did not try, I, I did not formally try to come back. While waiting, I was thinking. Uh, I even I, I even uh, told myself if I come back to ELMD, even if they just consider my masters again, that's fine. You know, mm-hmm. I can I, and I can just use my doctorate mm-hmm. in terms of the skills that I have mm-hmm. learned. You know, research more on probably attitudes and behaviors of teachers, something like that. So I was ready for that. However. While I was waiting for my dissertation to be approved, because usually they'll send it to external reviewers. If I'm not mistaken, my external reviewers are from the U.S. It will take a month or two before they give you the feedback. Okay. So while waiting for the feedback, I had this opportunity that. Uh, and uh, by the way, I'll just tell you this probably When you submit your thesis or dissertation, your scholarship will be cut as well. Oh no! Right? So you have to be spending yeah. for so, yourself. <laughs> it's like that. So it's either you uh, go back to your home country and probably I'm wait, waiting, or, yeah. or really, or you can stay here and just uh, you know use whatever money that uh, you have saved. Mm. What will I do? And I'm not sure if I am applying for an academic position uh, in OB. And to be fair, it's really competitive as well mm. in Australia during that time. Uh, I guess the mark, the academic market was also really strong and competitive. That you know, as a fresh PhD graduate, I wasn't really sure if I will get the job. And sometimes, for me, probably when you apply for a job and you're not hundred percent on it, you might not get it because That's you're. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I was thinking, oh, I gotta wait. I gotta wait. So I I found a job. Okay. Uh, this is just like I was having a dinner with one of my friends. Who happened to have a friend working in this uh, childcare center, the Majura Park? So that's the first one. And then uh, they were talking about education. In the beginning, I was not uh, joining the con- I was not part of the conversation at all. But after dinner, I started, you know, injecting a bit of my ideas and thoughts. And one of the then the, the friend of the friend said. Oh, you know, I thought your your PhD in you know OB. Why do you know about education? And yeah. then I said, Oh, actually, my background is really in education back in the Philippines. Oh, okay, so what are you doing right now? Oh, nothing. I'm just waiting for my um, PhD result. 
Oh, do you want to apply in our center? We just need, you know, casual educators because that time I cannot even work full time. I was still mm-hmm. on the school. Mm-hmm. You can only work for 20 hours, 20 hours per a week. week. Yeah. That is correct. And it is a humbling experience, Dr. Mimi, being an academic in the Philippines and then, of course, almost finishing your PhD. I was a preschool coordinator back then. And aside from that, in the Philippines, I've also experienced other uh, leadership roles. Are you familiar with uh, LASO, Lasallian Supervisor? Yeah, LASO. School? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a supervisor as well for <laughs> LASO. Yeah, yeah. So, and then when I went to this uh, center, it was just like a brief interview. They needed a casual educator. So I'm like those reliever that if someone is sick, they're going to call me. Mm. And, I was, and I was an assistant educator in the room. So typical. Uh, and as assistant educator at that time, especially if they don't know what your background is, I didn't say that much what my background is. They thought I'm the typical casual educator just trying to, you know, assist get some the more main money. educator. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, my first, uh, the roles given to me were really, the, as I've said, those trivial roles, but of course, important in uh, care and education. Changing nappy, putting yes. the rubbish out, cleaning yes. the, <laughs> you know, or just uh, telling uh, stories to small groups of children. I wasn't allowed to handle big groups yet because I was an assistant educator. Mm. So I thought, but that experience, okay, starting with really the, from the bottom, my love for teaching, my love for early childhood was ignited again. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, you know, the, the pay is during that time was small. It, it's so tiring. But I go home. When I go home, I'm so happy. Yes. I was like, oh, I guess I think I might consider this. And then, uh, I, but again, I'm just a casual uh, educator. And then uh, later on, you know, I was not saying anything with even with uh, co-workers in that center. But I attended one of the staff meetings. And, you know, as Filipinos sometimes, uh, when you know that, oh, I don't think that's right. So I tried yeah. uh, giving some of my ideas. I think that was the time that someone recognized, why do you think he knows that? You know, I thought he was mm-hmm. just like a casual educator, blah, blah, blah. And then one of the management person in that center told the uh, owner, I think we have one who has a background in education. And then they tried checking my CV then. Oh, this one has a master's in uh, education and finishing PhD. And then uh, when I got my, I was able to talk to the owner. And then I guess the owner uh, like as well, you know, the philosophy my philosophy in teaching, my experience, and said, what is my plan? And I said, I don't know yet. I'll cross the bridge when I get there. When I got my PhD, your visa will be cut after 30 days, something yes. like that. So the immigration will say, oh, you're done. And then the owner uh, of that company, which I am very thankful for. I'm, I've been working uh, for with her now for her for about uh, nine years. See? And I started with that. And he said that, uh, do you want to stay in Australia? I can sponsor you as educational advisor. And there was not even opposition for that that, that time. They have an educational <laughs> leader. They have an existing uh, educational leader. And I was like, huh? Educational advisor? Yeah, I would like it. But the thing is, and this is, as I said, a humbling experience. 
I'm a you know, pe- pedagogy. I'm familiar with early childhood. I'm familiar with educational management. But, but the Australian framework curriculum is different. I have to learn. I have to learn their laws and regulations. And that, that and I told the owner, I guess on the other side, you know, management, uh, innovative teaching strategies for children, resource management, etc. I'm really good at it. But I am poor with Australian regulation at that time. And I said, I will, ac- I will accept the job, but I think it would be good as well for me to have more experience in the classroom. So I was the educational advisor, but I taught for about eight months or one year in the preschool room. So I became a preschool teacher. There you go. So you didn't need a certificate three or certificate four in early childhood education, like what happened to you in La Salle. Thrown into the deep end, gonna agad lem. So you yeah. have to, and, and I think then, that's where you appreciated the Australia early childhood framework. From with that, that is correct. Part. And it was like, oh, I like the earlier learning learning framework. I think I'm gonna learn more on this. And to be fair, the earlier learning framework is so much aligned, even with you know the progressive education that I've been teaching back at De La Salle. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm proud of it because you know at De La Salle in our college. Most of my colleagues, all of us, were already gearing towards progressive education, mm. okay, and not the traditional preschool. I must admit, probably some other uh, universities still are focusing on that uh, the traditional philosophy, whether they admit it or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? But but in our case, I said, okay, I think this is fit. I can easily uh, study this and. Having that uh, experience in the classroom, I think, helped me also to gain respect from my colleagues. Because just imagine, if I will just take the position, but in paper, I was educational advisor, and in terms of pay as well. So (laughs) even though I was in the classroom, in terms of pay and in terms of uh, contract, I was the educational advisor. But I was telling my boss as well, you know, without being more exposed in the classroom with them uh, how can they you know respect how can they actually see what i am capable of they might think it's all just about talk without action so i tried when i was in the classroom for about seven or eight um, months i showed them that this is the ideal that i want to see in the different classroom because i know sooner or later when i'm out of the classroom i will really manage them uh, okay? So in that sense, you know, they know that ah, oh, them can do it. So when uh, it was the right time, I became the uh, educational leader and director of that center. Okay. So again, long experience as uh, educational leader and director of that center, and of course, I had a good working relationship with my with my boss. From one center, we opened the second, and then we opened the third. So now, uh, after being with the company for almost nine years, we have now three early learning centers here in Canberra. And then I go around. I really focus on um, uh, on pedagogy, you no know, staff training, working on uh, the educational practices and approving the curriculum pra- uh, mm-hmm. curriculum learning experiences of the company. Wow. So Lim, I what's the future looking like? Do you think that the, this private company will expand um, and will um, open up more learning centers? What's the as future of, looking yeah, like? As of, as of now, uh, I think my uh, my boss uh, with my discussion, we just wanted to maintain first the three and ensure 
uh, consistent quality practices. I'm very uh, proud as well that as of now, the three of our centers uh, got good ratings as well from uh-huh. uh, the government because uh, early learning centers, childcare centers here in Australia are also rated. With mm-hmm. the, you know, assessment and, and, Something and like ASCO for early childhood similar, centers. Yes, yes. <laughs> so they have they have a version of that for uh, early learning centers or child care centers okay. in Australia. So let's just, yeah, just to connect lang, how different is an early childhood learning center to those family daycares? Yeah. Are they so similar the fa- or the same? It, it is similar. We follow earlier learning framework. It's just more on the time and the context. So the family daycare centers are usually smaller. Okay? So normally, it's just like adjacent to the house and the number of uh, educators are different. So in terms of, la- usually it starts with the license. How many children they can actually admit. But the same regulation actually applies. You know that they should follow health and safety. Educational practice, what kind of staffing arrangement, relationship with children, relationship mm. with families and community. And of course, there's also uh, leadership and uh, management. Then we have the long daycare centers. So the long daycare centers, these are the usually bigger centers open between, you know, sometimes 6.37 or 7.30 in the morning until 5, 5.30 to 6 in mm. the evening. So we are considered long daycare. So... In Australia, usually there will be a family daycare that is, as I've said, just the smaller ones, usually run by one ECT, one early childhood teacher, or another assistant done mm. at home or a smaller space. Long daycares are usually, uh, of course, aside from longer uh, hours, they are bigger in terms of license, mm. how many children they can actually accept. Yeah. And then we also have the after school care. So after after school care is those who are going to uh, schools, you know, from kindy year one, year two, year three, and then normally their time would be between nine to three, nine to four. Before they go to the school and after they go to school, there are also uh, learning centers that actually accommodate them. Mm-hmm. So that's another category as well yeah. in Australia. Parang wala akong alam na after school care sa sa Philippines. Parang itong concept na to parang Ayan. ito lang, di ba? Yes. Pero lem Another, this is a controversial question. I have two mm-hmm. controversial questions. Ito po yeah, sure. Um, alam mo, di ba, when people migrate or even um, migrate as a skilled migrant or even yes. uh, apply here as a student visa, thinking that's the pathway for them to to um, stay here and become permanent. Yes. Uh, meron, mo, meron pa ba in your opinion, uh, because this you are in this space, future yes. for teachers in the Philippines to move to Australia and teach, even in the early childhood space yes. or even in the regular primary school system, meron pa bang ganun? Or uh, hindi na siya masyadong lucrative as a potential career here in Australia for people that want to be teachers? Yes. Alam mo, Doc, may middag sa double-edged uh, sword uh, question. Because my, my stand as well, like, of course, I would say there's really a lucrative, uh, it's a lucrative position, you know, lucrative uh, career as educator or as teacher here in Australia. But at the same time, I don't want the Filip- all the Filipino good teachers to also move because I want them to serve our country as well. But I cannot blame them because I did the same thing. You know, but later on probably I will discuss how I can still help the Philippines despite I am uh, mm. here. But uh, 
at up to now, Doc Mimi, it's still, especially the, the early childhood is still in the skilled uh, migrant list. The primary uh, teachers, it's not in the list. Okay? But the secondary is. So uh-huh. if you're an early childhood teacher in the Philippines and then secondary teaching high school in the Philippines, there's a big chance of you of being sponsored or migrating in Australia. Yeah, unless and, dito mag-aaral sila ng early childhood education. Oh, yeah, but Dr. Mimi, even your if you studied in the Philippines, we have what we call here the ASICWA. They actually do equivalency. So, let's say if you studied in the Philippines, uh, what is that equivalent in uh, the Australian uh, curriculum? Unfortunately, and again, this is based on my experience, I've had former students back in our University de La Salle or even other universities in the Philippines. They've taken their undergraduate and master's in the Philippines, but when they were applying for equivalency in Australia, it was only uh, they, they usually they only they will only grant you diploma mm, you know? even despite and, the master's level they only yes. wow, wow you know why dr mimi and this is cultural so for, the, for also for the sake of uh, watching probably in the philippines it doesn't uh, mean that our curriculum in the philippines is uh, inferior no compared to Australia. I still believe that we have a good uh, mm. education curriculum, especially in you know prestigious universities. And again, depending as well on the type of academic you have in the Philippines. But the main uh, thing why it is not granted, uh, as bat- it is not equivalent to bachelor's degree because we lack uh, units for infants and toddlers. I see. That's the and- missing link. <laughs> That is correct. But uh, some universities, of, I don't know if I can name here, even uh, De La Salle, uh, I gave that feedback with them before. Re- very recently, uh, their curriculum has has now, they added more units for infants. Oh, there you but, go. So but as I said, it's, it's cultural, Dr. Mini, because in the Philippines, we do not send our children as early as five months, four months in a daycare center. We don't have that concept because of the extended family mm-hmm. and the help of our household helpers right so we have trusted people like our probably grandparents aunts uncles or you know long-term household helpers who actually help parents mind the children from birth to around probably uh, three years old and it's only after three that they send yeah uh, yeah, but uh, now I, I, I've heard, no, because I have some colleagues and friends back in the Philippines, they're starting to open a younger age group in the Philippines, like the play school for two years old, etc. But probably the concept is diff- far away different from yeah. Australia still. That's and, right. I agree. It's cultural. Eh? So, yeah. you see the different sides of of the system you know the australian yep. way and the philippine way so uh, that's my first controversial question nga uh, kasi ba- i'm pretty sure may magtatanong uh, how did lemuel do that uh, how come he was successful in australia so parami siguro nangangarap maybe i can also do that but on the other hand naman lem in your personal life at the moment with all these three centers that you are running do you have a life outside of your work lem <laughs> how <laughs> treating you here in Australia. <laughs> oh, it's good. It's still good. I, I still have a lot of friends here in Australia, both uh, Filipinos and of course uh, from other countries or Australians as well. So mm-hmm. I think there's a bit of a balance in my life. I, 
the problem I really go out Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So I work Monday to Friday, but I guess my social life is still uh, active. I will be honest, I don't have much uh, friends at work, but that is my choice. Mm. Both, all of my friends are either my you know people I live with, people that uh, let's say I studied together back at ANU. Or friends of friends, and I'm very lucky. The Filipino community were a bit still strong here. Those especially studying at uh, ANU, most of them are still my friends. And then trickle effect, no? Parang friend, 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 and then yeah, you still meet network. It. Yeah. yeah, but as I said by choice, I don't have much friends at work, even in Facebook, because um, it's just with it comes with the pos- uh, position as well that I need to be very objective no it's difficult to be so friendly with one person that you all you are all you have a say in terms of performance appraisal you know it's difficult sometimes that you're you're part of that meeting that you're gonna terminate not to renew or not to you know promote <laughs> person and then you are so close so i guess that's one of my i i i consider it as not really as a downside but it's uh part of the deal that you know that because in a certain position you also need to sacrifice certain aspect of your social life in the sphere of the organization however outside i have a lot of friends anyway mm. so, so it's a, I think, getting a good balance of who you balances, interact with okay. who you and, want to be in your circle yeah that's right and i guess that will be another thing that i would like to add would be more on uh how multicultural Australia is. I think that's one of the challenge and at the same time, uh, good, great experience for me uh, being an educational uh, leader, no? Man- uh, helping the three centers, that uh, supporting the three centers that we have. That I'm, I'm working with people from, you know, different mm. nationalities, different cultural background, learning from them, learning from uh, different uh educational background their own techniques that they bring in in the center and how we use all these trends to actually further improve our own practice and Mm -hmm. as i said it's not just like i don't like to sugarcoat it it's not good every time because there would be clashes in terms of culture i'll give you one example doctor this is funny i'm trying to, I, i tried to change but in the philippines probably we are not really that uh good good morning we're not so talkative like you know yeah. in the morning or as much as most probably australians or westerners are Mm. In my, I think I was on my second year as a director. It was like years ago, my second year as director, yeah, years ago. And then I've asked, no, just like a bit of informal uh, uh, reflection assessment from my educators on how I can improve as well as a director. What do you see? In what aspects, no, do you think I can be a better, you know, leader or colleague? And then there were some comments like uh, they feel that sometimes I'm snobbish. That when I say good morning, I just nod my head, or I do not initiate saying good morning. And yet I do that with the children. So they were saying it's not a good role modeling, but you do that with children. You always encourage us to be accommodating to parents and children. But when you are in your office and we see you, and then. We try to say good morning. You just nod without saying good morning. So 
again, that's cultural because remember in the Philippines, we're, we're used to it. Like, you know, probably the department share a good morning, ma'am, morning, sir. And then the, the chair might yeah. just... Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay. So I had to change that a bit as well. And then even with Filipinos, you know, Dr. May, back in the Philippines, when we conduct meetings, you say one hour, the meeting will be one and a half, two hours. You're not even paid. Unlike in Australia, I was you know, my first few meetings, I said six to seven. And then around, you know, seven o'clock, staff will just stand up. We need to go. Our yeah. children are, and I was like, <laughs> oh, are you going to pay the next 15 minutes? You know, because of yeah. because they're, that's how uh, work is done mm. in this country. And those adjustments and culture, I guess, helped me as well to adjust a bit, you know, mm-hmm. the kind of leadership that I've learned back in the Philippines. And it's for the better, you know. It's, mm. I think, just improving. Yeah. Alam mo, Lam, it's very, very refreshing to to listen to you because and dami ko natutunan in a short span of time that we are having this conversation. Well, this is Samutsari Conversations with Mimi. Um, in the short span, I learned that you have to be passionate about the work that you do in order to appreciate yeah. the changes that's happening in your professional life, like your change in your PhD focus, uh, the change in your working environment. Like you said, as an educational leader, you should be able to, to model and learn also from feedback from other people. And you also said to me a while ago that you can be, you know, a friend in and out of the professional circle based on your extended networks. And obviously, one thing that um, is very, really profound is you've been consistent in terms of your passion for teaching and and love for learning. And um, when I link that to uh, ito nga, yung mga potential for other Filipinos to to still do, do it in this space, you said, it's a double-edged sword. Uh, of course, you wish for other people to have a, a good life and, and a, a career pathway just like what you did. But at the same time, there's the calling for them to stay where they are and educate the, <laughs> Filipino, the Filipino kids. So, uh, and dami, and dami, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that we can have part two because uh, and dami pa natin sure. but time is not enough. Um, I have to end the show. So, just in just for your final words, what, as an educational leader, mm-hmm. uh, as an educator, um, as a, a, a part of this learning system, a, a global learning system, what is your message to the viewers and learners there? Um, maybe their parents, maybe their uh, students of education, or maybe their existing teachers. What's your general comment or advice or message to all of them? Yep. I guess uh, I would like to end by you know uh, saying this quote that uh, I've used many times, even in my dissertation, I included it in my page. That I always say that uh, now that uh, I've been, I've finished my PhD, how many years now? Probably seven years or eight, something like way, way back. But I always say more than having that uh, three letters after my name, the PhD. For me, I still use the original PhD that I believe in, which is, you know, P for passion, H for hard work, D for dedication. I'll start with uh, P for passion. You always need to have that, uh, sustain that energy, you know, that uh, enthusiasm that you would like to serve the children. It's always the best interest of the families and children. So that's what I always do. When I decide, is this the best interest of the child? H for hard work. Uh, not 
not everything is easy. And aside from that, when I say um, hard work, you should continuously learn. It's very important. No? Even in my case, I probably have long experience, but I still want to learn from other people. And I, I, you've mentioned in my CV, Dr. Mimi, I'm very passionate with Reggio Emilia approach. And this approach in Italy, as much as I can, you know, aside from the funding, if I have time, I really go to Italy and, uh, you know, yeah. observe the schools where our philosophy was inspired of. And not just in Italy, other international conferences, you know, research, uh, presentations. That's part of hard work because uh -huh. you need to continuously learn and bring it back to the organization. That's for me the hard work. The, the last one is dedication. This job, whether we like it or not, it's not an eight-hour job. Sometimes in the morning, in the evening, sometimes in the weekend, then there might be emergency. But I do not count the hours. I count the quality and the impact I contribute both to my uh, educators, the children, and the families that we serve. So probably I will really end with that, that whatever industry you are in, or if you want to become a teacher, maintain the passion, hard work, and dedication. Wow, thank you very much. Ang galing, ang ganda ng PhD I really, really like it. And I hope that is something that others can learn from to inspire them to really push for their dreams or whatever things that they want in life. So thank you, Dr. Lamb Tadano, uh, for gracing uh, my, my episode today. So I'm going to formally close the show now. So thank you everyone for being with me and them today as well. If you have any stories or topics that you wish to feature in the show, just please reach out to me via my Gmail account um, that you can see at the bottom of your screen. Samutsari is a member of the Gorilla Podcast Syndicate. You can also reach out to me via my Facebook page or my YouTube channel. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and share all my episodes to people that will also learn a lot. Thank you, Lam, for being with Thank me. You, Thank Let's you, say everyone. Now and um, hope to see you again in another episode. Maybe we can discuss more of the pedagogical approaches. I might, uh, I'm, I'm happy to share as well how, you know, for example, the Reg Emilia approach, how, you know, uh, it's uh, implemented in education because it's not just in the uh, educational setting, even with parenting, you know, family okay. life. Maybe well. that's, yeah. yeah, that's part two. Uh, because I belong to a Facebook group of parents. So I'm pretty yeah. sure they will be interested in that. Anyway, thank you, Lem. And thank you, everybody. Until the next episode. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Have a good one. If you find value in this episode, make sure you like and subscribe to be notified of new releases. If you have any questions or suggestions, please reach out to Gorilla Podcast or send us an email at mimi at dinosocial.com. Spread the word and don't forget to tune in next time. We are Independent Podcast Network. We are Guerrilla Podcast Syndicate. Would you like to hear your brand while supporting quality podcasts? Contact us now at advertise at guerrillapodcastsyndicate.com.